Urban Spelunking is supported by Landmark Credit Union. Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Okay, Bobby, this week we're going to the west side of the east side. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're at Bartlett and Irving. Um, this is a this is a corner building we're talking about. That um, there was an accepted offer on this building it was recently for sale, and it uh, it's interesting because it looks like it could be a bar from the outside, but it's not a bar, and it never was a bar. But it was built by Miller Brewing. So what's what's the deal, Bobby? Well, and that's the thing is it's this corner brick building that looks like it could be a tavern building, and it's got the Miller M yes. at the very top which many of the Miller Tide Houses had. So you could see why people would think this had been built as a Tide House, right? Right, and they owned a lot um, of these Tide Houses around Milwaukee. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And I, even I thought that, because the uh, anecdotal evidence in front of you, the circumstantial evidence would suggest that's what it was. But um, but in fact, no, not true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was mostly a pharmacy, mostly a drugstore for almost its uh, almost its entire retail existence. Okay, so um, it was built by Miller, though. So what's but it was what's, built by Miller. Yeah. Um, that well, you know the the breweries used to sort of scramble to buy real estate in developing neighborhoods because they wanted to get primo corner spots. They wanted to be on okay. the corner because you could see right. them from multiple directions, and you know they they didn't want to be hidden in the middle of the block. Um, and so the the breweries would end up with all this real estate um, that over time they may or may not have built side houses on, right? You know, um, yeah. and this is a case where they bought it and held on to it for 17 years before they did anything. So they bought the land when? 1892. And then they sat on it for like almost 20 years. 17 years. They okay. built this building in, in 1909. When you go inside today, this, it, it, you can t- definitely tell it was a drugstore and, uh, or one of those really like old timey neighborhood drugstores as well. Oh yeah. And it's got loads of, um, its original features inside because it it ceased being a retail place in the 1960s and the people who've owned it since kind of kept it the way it was. So it's got the hardwood floors. It's got like the sort of, you know, in the display windows for some reason, there were sometimes these like platforms. Those are still there. Um, it's got the, all of the built-in cabinets along the walls with the drawers oh, wow. and yeah. the, the doors that were, most of the doors are missing, but the, where there would have been doors, to put medicines and, and other things behind. Also still there, um, tin ceiling. Ah, uh, I love a good tin, tin ceiling. ceiling. We saw um, one of those at the uh, the old soldier's home a couple weeks back. Yes, and best of all, it still has the old soda fountain in it. With yes. like the counter and the stools that spin, like still attached to the floor and like sort of a, the equivalent of a, whatever you'd call a back bar <laughs> at a soda fountain. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you just can't fake, right? I mean, these I, there's there was an old drugstore near my house growing up that I used to go to that had kind of the same thing. It was an independent grocery store with a little soda fountain, and I think that disappeared like 20 years ago. You know, yeah. like these are just not really around like this anymore. And when you walk inside, you got some really cool pictures of of that soda fountain, and it just takes you right back walking in there. It really does. I mean, it almost at the moment it's it's I would say it's empty, but they were getting ready for a like a estate sale rummage sale so there was stuff in there but it um it wasn't like furnished like somebody's house or something so you still really got a sense of what this place would have looked like when you walked in and it was a and a pharmacy with the a drugstore with the soda fountain off to the left and all the display cabinets for the merchandise on the other two walls it just it was really evocative 
Well, coming up in the second part of Urban Spelunking, we're going to talk about how I was surprised to learn this, that at this time, Miller was uh, kind of a smaller player in the beer game in Milwaukee here. We're going to talk about the, the company's history and how it connected back to this uh, building Spit for a Druggist next on Urban Spelunking. Support for 88.9 Radio Milwaukee comes from your membership and Landmark Credit Union. Landmark Credit Union is proud to support Urban Spelunking and is proud to have been guiding members with financial options since 1933. Information about membership is at LandmarkCU.com. Landmark Credit Union. A donation comes in many forms. A sustaining membership one-time gift, and even that vehicle you no longer use. Whether it's a car, truck, or boat, donating is a great way to support this station. Even if it's no longer running, your vehicle donation could be worth hundreds of dollars in support of the programming you enjoy. Get the process started today by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org slash cars. And we are back on the east side, the west side of the east side at Bartlett and Irving. <laughs> this is um, this is a long-time pharmacy, and... Um, who was the longest tenant there? Was it Irving Drugs or Irving? Um, yeah, it was a guy named Noller, um, George Noller, K N O L L E R. Okay. Um, who was there the longest? Um, and he and his wife were there kind of at the end too. So I think anybody who remembers it, um, is likely to remember them most of all because then after George died, um, his wife ran a sundries store. For a couple of years, and then actually leased out the sundry store to some tenants for th- a couple of years, and then at that point it closed, and there's been no more retail in the building since then. Well, I just thought this was such a cute little detail that you found, Bobby, in your research is that is that she was known for her geraniums. She was. She had, and a, a couple of people when I posted about this um, talked about um, remembering the flower boxes and like mm-hmm. the fl- you know the flowers in the window. So she was Nolly, as she was called. Um, colloquially, uh, was remembered for this, and 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 for being a very, a very nice woman. Apparently, too. this is just putting this is such a smile on my face thinking about, about this, and her yeah, flowers. This, yeah, this yeah. woman who like you never know what you're going to be remembered for, and just what a cute little detail that you found out her and her geraniums. Yeah, yeah. So what I thought was interesting was you know the this looks like sort of a site that doesn't have a ton of history, but that whole neighborhood was actually part of um, a Civil War era, sort of like. Fort, like really, encampment, like a whole chunk of it going all the way over to Prospect. Wow, um, I've then, never heard that before. Yeah, and actually, one of the buildings ended up being sort of uh, the first location for what is now Maryland Avenue School. Wow, which is interesting. So, what, and, um, what was happening there at this at this fort? I think this they were like this is where they were getting like the Wisconsin troops together, the wow. area troops together. Um, and you can find pictures of Camp Reno, um, which is what it was called. Um, Showing all the buildings. There were like a bunch of different buildings there. So it was also called Camp Siegel. And after it was um, decommissioned or whatever you'd call it, whatever you would call that for a camp, I assume decommissioned, right? Yeah, um, sounds about right. A developer named Alonzo Kane, whose name uh, still exists in the neighborhood on Kane Place. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, was subdividing it off and selling the lots to all these different people. And Miller bought this one lot because it was a corner lot, as we had talked about in the first half. Um, and 
So when they didn't build a saloon, as, as we talked about earlier, they would use these properties for other purposes. Like Pabst did it. Pabst, like, Pabst has a warehouse in Walker's Point, yeah. you, yeah, we, seen, which belonged. was never a Pabst warehouse. I mean, it was owned by Pabst, but right. they didn't store Pabst beer there, you know. Um, so these these breweries I, were just in a couple different businesses as part of a complete business yeah, model, right? Like real well, they estate ended and, up in sort of real estate, yeah. I think, because of the Tide House system. Mm-hmm. So they were buying up real estate, which basically then made them real estate people, whether or not that was really what their main business was, you know. Um, and like Schlitz built some, too. We did a story, one on the Hummel, um, yes. the Eline Hummel building on mm-hmm. um, King Drive near Center Street. Which again, built by Schlitz, owned by Schlitz, but never, you know, never occupied by Schlitz. Um, and sort of the key, I think, to finding out that this was never meant to be a tavern once they built it was that in, uh, I found a 1909 ad, which is the year the building opened, and it said, um, new store building uh, with beautiful flats because it had three apartments in it. Oh, two apartments, now it has three because there was another storefront in it. That okay, got it. Apartment. Um, and it said it was suitable for a druggist. Red Miller Brewing Company. So they obviously, by the time they built that, they knew they were, they were not looking to put a tavern there. Um, I just love when you go and find these these original advertisements from the newspaper back then. I mean, to see just to see it, like we can talk about it, we can talk about the history, but when you actually see the ad, yeah, from from what what, what year was this? This had nineteen oh nine, nineteen oh nine, right? Yeah. yeah and, so well, and they're useful too because this this is the kind of thing that looks like an insignificant, just sort of like. Fun little classified ad, but it tells us that Miller never intended it to be a tide house, right? I mean, this is the only like real proof we have that that they didn't even intend it to be a saloon. Yeah, and there's mm-hmm. not even a address in this. It's just the the corner. Bartlett yeah, it just is corner Bartlett and Irving Place, right? Um, but what was interesting too about this whole real estate thing is that when Prohibition hit in 1920, um, you know, tide houses were dead. Yeah. So uh, they never came back. Right, and so. Um, breweries like Schlitz and Pabst were huge. I'm still millions of barrels of beer a year, um, like the biggest breweries in the world, you know. Um, so they could survive because they went into all, they had money to go into all these other businesses and stuff. But Miller was still relatively small fry at the time. We don't realize that now because we think of Miller as being this huge, but they were way, way, way smaller than any of these other. That was surprising to me too um, when I was reading this. I was like, oh, really? Miller owned all this property, but they were still kind of the, the little guy in the market. Well, and th- what happened was that, that owning all that real estate is what helped Miller get through prohibition because they still had all these rents coming in from these properties that they owned that became soda fountains or became ice cream shops or, you know, maybe selling beer out of the basement. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it seems like there might <laughs> have been a little, but, little but, wink, wink, nudge, nudge in some of these. Uh, right, but they didn't own those businesses anymore, right. so they couldn't be held responsible. For they just owned the buildings. Right. So they just became basically landlords at these hundreds and hundreds of sites that they had. Um, and that income really, and then being able to sell them off later on gave them sort of much needed capital. So this this would be the kind of a, a kind of example of that. Although they ended up owning this building for a really long time, they didn't end up selling it until um, much later they sold it to Noller. Okay, so... So they owned it you know, well after Prohibition, well after repeal even. So before the Nollers were there, before that sale, were there any other longtime tenants or people there of note? were. They tended to come and go. So like the first guy was there actually quite a while. Henry Malloy was there for 11 years. But then like the next person was only there for four, then the next person was only there for one or two, and then the next person, Frank Caldwell, was there for 11. Um, and then everybody else was pretty short 
term um, until the dollars. I wonder if medicine was changing a lot during this period too, where you know at the beginning they were selling like tonics and elixirs, and yeah. then by the end it was you know more advanced. You would think definitely the difference between <laughs> what a, a drugstore was selling in 1909 versus what it was selling in like 1959 right. has got to be a pretty drastic, especially I mean that 50 year period, right? I mean like a 50 year period from like 1709 to 1759, probably not a whole lot of change, but that sort of first 50 years of the 20th century, the change had to be dramatic. I right. Think, I thought right? those same cabinets that were putting the, uh, the, the, those same cabinets that were housing the elixirs that we talked yes, about were, right. there was probably a bottle of Tylenol in there right. uh, later right, on. Right. Right? How right. interesting. Well, this, as we mentioned, was for sale and we'll see what, what happens next. It's on such a prominent corner, Bartlett and Irving. And um, who knew there was so much history and um, it, uh, again, it's not just the, the expected history of this being a tide house. This had so much, it was like another layer beneath that, that you uncovered through this, uh, this research and how cool to find these original, um, these original ads and, uh, that soda, that soda fountain and the floor looks like it's in gorgeous shape considering how old it is and the wainscoting. So just a very cool building on Bartlett and Irving. Well, my hope is that, uh, somebody, whoever's buying it is planning and has their eye on that soda fountain and is thinking of reopening as some sort of, Something around that, you know, a deli, a ice cream store, or whatever. Something interesting. Yeah, Milwaukee needs a, a good soda fountain. I don't it know does, if we have a soda it, fountain right? anymore. Well, uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be paying attention to that story. And uh, uh, Count Bobby is a in the pro soda fountain. I am pro soda <laughs> fountain. Well, podcasts on eighty eight nine are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted Sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from you and your membership, and from On Milwaukee. You can subscribe to this podcast and every 88.9 podcast right here at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcast or on whatever platform you're listening to right now. Just click 88.9 and find all of our podcasts there. As always, we are uh, looking for your feedback, so please rate and review the podcast. Let us know what you think. And Bobby, we will be back next week with another story from Historic historic Milwaukee Building. We definitely will. See you then. Urban Spelunking is supported by Landmark Credit Union.